Amos chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, and chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. This message was given to Amos, a shepherd from the town of Tekoa in Judah. He received this message in visions two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam II, the son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. This is what he saw and heard. The Lord's voice will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The lush pastures of the shepherds will dry up and the grass on Mount Carmel will wither and die. Chapter 2. This is what the Lord says. The people of Israel have sinned again and again and I will not let them go unpunished. They sell honorable people for silver and poor people for a pair of sandals. They trample helpless people in the dust and shove the oppressed out of the way. Both father and son sleep with the same woman, corrupting my holy name. At their religious festivals, they lounge in clothing their debtors put up as security. In the house of their gods, they drink wine bought with unjust fines. But as my people watch, I destroyed the Amorites, though they were as tall as cedars and as strong as oaks. I destroyed the fruit on their branches and dug out their roots. It was I who rescued you from Egypt and led you through the desert for 40 years so you could possess the land of the Amorites. I chose some of your sons to be prophets and others to be Nazarites. Can you deny this, my people of Israel? asked the Lord. But you caused the Nazarites to sin by making them drink wine, and you commanded the prophet, shut up. So I will make you groan like a wagon loaded down with sheaves of grain. Your fastest runners will not get away. The strongest among you will become weak. Even mighty warriors will be unable to save themselves. The archers will not stand their ground. The swiftest runners won't be fast enough to escape. Even those riding horses won't be able to save themselves. On that day, the most courageous of your fighting men will drop their weapons and run for their lives, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Christ Central Church. Good morning. What an encouraging text to begin this morning. Um, my name is Josh Kim, one of the pastors here. We are in our third minor prophet of 12 prophets, and um, today's prophet's name is Amos. And this prophet's tasked with perhaps one of the more difficult tasks, uh, perhaps one of the more impossible tasks a prophet has. It's not because the circumstances are actually difficult or what he has to ask people to is difficult, um, but what he's called to do in today's text, is to preach against people in the time of relative peace and prosperity. It's actually more difficult to preach against people when they're doing well, when things are going well for them around them. There's a saying that says, with great power comes great responsibility. This great line is said to have origins, not from Spider-Man, but from French Revolution and the collection of the decrees that dated May 8, 1793. Some contribute this to William Lamb, or better known as Lord Melbourne, in discussing habeas corpus, 
the right to come to trial in the debate of 1817. Some contribute this saying to Winston Churchill in 1906 or Theodore Roosevelt in 1908. Sounds like a history lesson, doesn't it? But for many of us, and myself included, when I first heard this, yes, from Spider-Man. Uncle Ben in the original Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire in light of discovering his power. With great power comes great responsibility. And the basic premise is when you're given such great privilege of power, you must show proper response or care or responsibility in, hearing, uh, in handling the power that is given to you. And as we're introduced to Amos, the prophet, perhaps this is a fitting message for us, for Judah and Israel and for us, you as God's chosen people, being given God's promise and God's covenant, how are you living in response to this? And that's what Amos is doing as we delve into this. And we get a plenty of background information when we read the verse 1 and 2 of chapter 1, when it says he received this message, Amos, envisioned two years before the earthquake when Uzziah, the king of Judah, and Jeroboam II, the son of Joash, was king of Israel. It's giving us a context of where they are. And he wrote it during Uzziah, Judah, Jeroboam II uh, of Israel, two years before the earthquake. We don't know when the earthquake happens, but we know that these two kings are. These two kings were the kings of two kingdoms that was divided after King Solomon. And the ten tribes then went with um, Jeroboam, and the two then with Roboam created this Judah and Israel that are divided. In the beginning of the northern kingdom, Israel, as we say, there are often border fights with the neighboring kingdom Syria, and there was lots of war that happened around them. But a decade or so before this Jeroboam II's reign, the, king, uh, the Assyrian king defeats Syria. And to make things better, soon after Assyria declines in its power, it did not become prominent again until later. So during this time, Jeroboam used this power, reigning power at the time, to expand the territory and to enlarge the borders. So this is time when the prosperity was rampant. And this prosperity and wealth came at a cost, as we see. It came at a cost of taking advantage of the poor and the needy. And that's what we read in chapter 2, verse 7. It says, They, Israel, tramped helpless people in the dust and shoved the oppressed out of the way. Both father and son sleep with the same woman, corrupting my holy name. And this is where Amos is now called to go and speak out of the impending judgment. And this is what Amos was supposed to say against people that were thinking, Well, I'm okay. Things are going well. Look around me. House is in order. In fact, my 401k is doing great. Stock market is on the rise. Well, everything's dandy, isn't it? Everything's great. Everything's going on. My son and daughter are doing well. They're in school. They're going to college. They got a job. And here comes the message of God who says in chapter 2, verse 2, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, this is what he saw and heard. The Lord's voice will roar like Zion, roar from Zion, and thunder from Jerusalem. Yahweh, God of the Scripture, roars like lion in warning from Zion and thundering boom from heaven saying, I am against you. I am in fact against your empty religion. I'm against your empty safety. I'm against your empty prosperity. And that's the message Amos has to deliver. Imagine that. What a difficult task that is for people that seemingly thought that they're doing well, they're doing okay because things around them, circumstances seemed at the time. How fitting is this message for us as we start Amos Church? 
One of the main themes that link Amos together throughout all this book is the voice in speaking out against the injustice of the nation, the religious formalism, meaning just plain religion that lacks God at the center, just like we sang today. And one of the elders actually mentioned that Jesus is in fact the center of the church, but not having Jesus at the center. And as we listen to this prophet, we cannot help but to think of who we are as we face our God in what we call one of the most powerful nations that you and I live in, in our relative peace and prosperity that you and I living under, yet polarized as is. What may be God saying to us today? Are you at peace with the Lord this morning as you come and worship the Lord, or is our God rolling like lion, thundering from the heavens of our blindness to our Israel-likeness of false security? What is God speaking to us Today, How is God speaking to you today as you're sitting and listening to Amos? So let's unpack Amos together, shall we? We'll see who Amos is and how he speaks to and the message that he gives to us in chapters 1 and 2. And two things we see. We see Amos speaks from being a nobody to somebody and from somebody to all the bodies of the people around them. The first thing we see is from nobody to somebody. Um, one of the shows, my all-time favorite shows that I watch is The Band of Brothers. Um, it's an old ministry. As I realized as I was thinking about this, this is like 2001. That means all our youth are like, what is this, right? This is older than you are. But it's on Netflix. It came to Netflix. It's top 10. That means it's new for everybody, right? Top 10 in Netflix. It came out. Um, so why, if you, parents, I mean, I'm not saying you to watch it because there's a lot of different things you have to watch out for. Anyway, but it's a story about a 101st Airborne Division during World War II in Europe. The story follows Dick Winters, an officer who seemingly was just one of the many soldiers enlisted for service during World War II, but he eventually becomes somebody in the ranks of major, playing a significant role in leading this famous 101st Airborne Division through Europe in conquering Germany. As fittingly as we have seen with the prophets, God uses not only the message of the prophet, but the life of the prophet to show his message. And just like Dick Winters, who became from nobody to somebody in Major Winters, we see Amos becoming just that, a someone that is nobody in the eyes of the world, but became somebody, and God not only uses that but uses his word to bring the message to his people. So who is Amos, the prophet? Well, we meet Amos as he introduces himself in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, this message was given to Amos, a shepherd from the town of Tekoa in Judah. Tekoa, Tekoa, or Tekoa is a small town outside of Bethlehem. And if you don't immediately recognize, well, I don't know where that is, pastor. That's fine, because I didn't know either, right? None of us are supposed to know this because it's a small town. It's not a big town at the time. And in the time and the age where you, where you come from play more significant role than your ability and background, as we saw Jesus when he comes out in the Gospels, people say, what good can come out of Nazareth? Right? Amos is in the same boat. Nobody came out of this small town. He was nobody in the eyes of many in the beginning. Add to that, do you hear what his profession was? He actually doesn't say, hey, I'm the great prophet from birth. My lineage is prophet of prophets. That's not what he says. He says, I was a shepherd, guys. I was a shepherd. 
And who are the shepherds in the society? Not someone that was that important in the eyes of many. And you heard many sermons during birth narratives to know that shepherds uh, who heard the news of Jesus were not the one that often you go to for the news. They're not the rich. They're not the rich and the famous. They're not the, the influencers, as they say. But rather, the shepherds were known to be the commoners, of the lower class of the society. And later in chapter 17, 14, he also says he was a shepherd, and he also takes care of sycamore figs. And you wonder, why does he say that? Because sycamore figs are the fruits that are known to be very poor kind. They're not the ones that you go and you say, well, I want to buy this because it's exotic and it's good. You actually pick this one because there's nothing else to eat it. Often, these were left for those who are poor, who are not able to afford better fruit to eat. And furthermore, later on, when he talks to Amaziah, the, the official priest of the nation, who is the priest, and he asks Amos, who are you? And Amos replies like this in chapter 7, verse 14. I'm not a professional prophet. I was never trained to be one. I'm just a shepherd, and I take care of sycamore fig trees. This is Amos. Someone who is poor, uneducated, who does not have the legacy of the family names, a shepherd who tended to the sycamore trees is now called to be the prophet of the Lord Most High. And how does he become that? It's like Matrix where it gets plugged in and all of a sudden he says, I know what God says. No, that's not what he says, right? God simply visits him, reveals to him a vision, and sends him to be a prophet to a nation. And herein lies the underlying story that we will see time and time again throughout Amos and throughout the scripture. They seemingly insignificant nobody, one of the shepherds in the countryside, someone that is not needed or significantly recognized in the eyes of the world are chosen by God, who reveals himself to him and speaks wisdom and boldness against established political, social, religious leaders at the time. This is the testimony of Amos. And why is it so important for us? Why is it important that Amos goes from nobody to somebody because again, Amos not only delivers the word of God, but his life embodies that. And through his origins in his life, as he tells people, hey, I'm nobody. I was nobody. I was not supposed to be here, but God brought me here. Through his life, he's also demonstrating for the listening Israel of who they are. Hey, this is who you are. That's what God is saying. Because Israel, as we're told in chapter 3, God reminds them of the history lesson again. You see, you cannot tell Israel's story or history without the exodus out of Egypt. If you read through the scripture time and time again, it says, hey, Israel, you came out of exodus out of Egypt. Remember that? Just like whenever you hear the story of United States, our nation, we cannot divorce the Revolutionary War or Boston Tea Party or Constitution away from the origins of our nation. So why is that significant for them to know that they were out of Egypt? Because when we get to Exodus, when you meet Israelites in Exodus, who are they? They're nobodies. They're slaves under the superpower of Egypt at the time. They were uneducated. They had no power, no privilege, no rights. Sound very similar to the origins of Amos, doesn't it? But also watch this. And how did they become this great nation? God simply chose them. That's what Amos tells them in chapter, one, chapter 3, verse 1. Listen to this message 
that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the entire family I, God, rescued from Egypt. Here, what God tells the Israelites through Amos is that just like Amos, you were chosen, Israel, not because you're a smart person. If so, God would have chosen the Greeks, right, with all the philosophy. Not because they were so powerful. If that was the case, God would have chosen Egypt or Babylon or Rome at the time. Well, not even because they're more diligent or faithful. Because you know, and I know, they're not like that. God should just start over with somebody else if that was the case. But because God simply chose them. That's what Deuteronomy 7, 6, 7 tells us. For you are a holy people. And this is before they are set apart and holy themselves, right? It says, you belong to the Lord, your God, of all the people on earth. The Lord, your God, has chosen you, simply chosen you to be his own special treasure. Lord did not set his heart on you and chose you because you were more numerous than other nations, for you are the smallest of all nations. In fact, there's no reason why Israel should have been chosen. In the eyes of the world, there's no reason why Amos should have been chosen. But simply, God chose Israel because he loved Israel, and God chose Amos. And through this foundation point, Amos not only delivers the word of God, but embodies the message that he's bringing. He's saying, Amos and Israel, you are simply chosen by the Lord. Not because of your credentials, but because simply, I chose you. That's what God is saying. And church, isn't that the gospel message for us this morning too? The message of the God God of the universe who says, I choose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. The weak to shame the strong. The lowly, the despised, so that only boasting that you could have could come from God and God alone. And this is not only Amos and Israel's story. If you're a follower of Christ, this is your testimony. This should be your testimony. God has chosen you and loved you, and this is what it means for you to be alive in him. And as I was thinking this, I thought this is something that when I was in youth that I need to hear that, that God simply loves me as who I am. But I realized it's not just for the youth that are sitting here. It's for all of us to be reminded that you are simply chosen by God to love you. You know, the world definition of worth comes from within. The world says, you are enough. How often we have heard this, follow your dreams, your heart, and you're enough. It sounds great and uplifting and all that, but when you unpack that statement, we realize you're doomed if you really believe that. Right? Because Scripture says your heart is deceitful above all things. So if you're enough, follow your heart. You know what you're following? A deceitful heart, and you're doomed. But the Bible's worth comes from the outside. It comes from what Jesus says about you. And in fact, you are enough not because you have done a lot of things for God lately, or not because you got X, Y, and Z degrees, or you got these friends at school, or you got this grade, but simply because God loves you and he has created you and he places the value in you because of what Christ has done in your life. That's why one of our vision statements says grow in diverse community, not because that is our end goal at church, but because Jesus says that's who you and I are. You and I are simply made to love Christ and all of us uniquely created in the image of God to reflect the truth. 
That's why our mission and vision statement reflects the growth in diverse community because that's the mission from God for us. Amen? And just like Amos, a shepherd, King David, who was overlooked, Peter, the fisherman, Hannah, praying, barren woman, Mary, a teenage girl, God placed value and worth in every single one of us who are called to follow after him because you are simply loved by God. And that's the main idea of Amos' message. Not only in the words he speaks, in the life he embodies, from nobody to somebody, and that's where we must begin. Church, I think when we do that, when Christianity, when following God begins recognizing that we are nobody before God, chosen to be somebody because of Christ in our lives, then we can submit out of reverence for Christ to one another. And it all becomes about who God is, and we respond in love for the Lord. Amen? And that's what Amos continues on from somebody. Now he becomes the word of God to bring to all the bodies of the people. Going back to the band of brothers, Dick Winters, in the story of a first 100 first airborne division called Easy Company, didn't really come to the light easily. Initially, when people came and said, you got to tell your story, Major Dick Winters, he often said, well, that part of my life is done, and he did not want to interfere with the story at bay. But the convincing act of the writer and actor, uh, writer and director Steven Spielberg and producer Tom Hanks was able to bring this story into Band of Brothers that became international hit and a story that impacted many generations after that. Similarly, Amos, now called by God, brings the word of God, his story, to all the bodies of people. When we come to Amos chapter 2, chapter 1 and 2, we see Amos now giving stern warning and judgment to eight nations. If you read through it, you'll find Syria, Philistia, Tyre, Edom, Emma, Moab, and Israel and Judah. And if you're an Israelite listening to Amos at the time, the first six, you're like, that's great, God. Finally, we're going to do something about this because they're against us. They're cruel nations. Offense of the six nations can be summarized as simply cruelty. That's what we see. First group, as we see God speaking out, is Syria and Philistia, represented by cities of Damascus and Gaza we find in chapter 1. And simply, they're punished for their cruelty. Amos describes cruelty in Amos 1 by saying, Damascus has done this by beating down my people in Gilead like they would grain field. They plow people over. And for Gaza, destroying villages and enslaving them. And you're thinking, they're cruel people. They should be punished. Second group is Tyre Edom. They're also cited for cruelty, but worse than the first group. They're worse because they enslaved and showed no mercy to the captives. But what's worse with them, as Amos tells us, is that Tyre has done this with those whom they were supposed to be in a brotherhood, in alliance with. They were the ones that were called backstabbers, right? And Edom has done this with their relatives, Israelites. If you call Edomites, are the direct descendants of Esau, the brother of Jacob, the descendants of Israelites. Here, Tyre and Edom are cruel, but also backstabbers. The third group is Ammon and Moab, and they're Worse than the group before. It gets worse and worse, doesn't it? The cover, um, and then Ammon and Moab ends from Amos 1 and beginning of chapter 2. Again, it's a cruelty that is in question here, but notice who they attack. You realize they not only attack the strong, but they attack the helpless. Ammon is known to be ripped open pregnant woman. Moab desecrated the kings of the past, burned his burial sites to ashes, 
in a culture that honored their past kings and the dead, this was unusual cruelty. And again, I want to point to the key phrase that is repeated throughout chapter 1 and 2, where it says, this nation sinned again and again and again. And some of the other translations says, for three transgressions and four, citing the repeated nature of this sin. You know, God announced his judgment on the repeated cruelty here and appeals to even the moral basic justice that humanity is under. Even for those nations who do not know God, they would all agree that this is a cruelty at hand. For example, we would all agree that child cruelty is wrong. Murdering someone is wrong in today's society, even apart from the Ten Commandments. After all, if we do not believe in that, we lose all sense of morality, don't we not? What it means to be a human being, to be proper, to be able to walk with people, to live in harmony, we lose all that if we lose basic sense of cruelty, and we lose what it means to be a functioning society if we lose that. That's why the judgment that comes against this nation is universally accepted and understood that they are punished for their cruelty. You know what that means, church? That means that you and I should lament about the death of a one-year-old due to the drug exposure in New York this week. We should decry the atrocities of war and the impact it has in Ukraine. We do cry and call for saving the lives of the unborn, absolutely. But we also ought to be at the forefront calling out the needs to sustain the lives after the birth as well. Our hearts should beat for the heart of the racial justice to be done, call out historic redlining and disproportionate distribution of services. We ought not to turn a blind eye to the migrant crisis and many fleeing dangers for their own lives. Notice, church, this is not just a Christian concern. This is basic human concerns that God has placed in our hearts. Let me be absolutely clear on that. Because oftentimes, churches get labeled. Calling out sin, sin, is not wrong. We call sin, sin, not because our church is liberal, right? Or we're too cultural. This is sin, church. This is sin. And it's the mortal sense it is sin. If you want to be technical, look at Amos. It's biblical as well to call out sin, sin. God here is punishing not only Israel and Judah for violating basic human rights and cruelty. God is placing all humanity, including you and I, what we are asked to do is to have humanity's concern in our hearts. And perhaps some of us can say, we do all this, right? Our hearts be with all the things we just talked about. Yes, talk about it, pastor. But the next two nations, as God speaks to them, now reveals true intent of Amos. Not only is Amos says, look at the six nations that I'm calling out, that we all agree with that they're wrong. But let me show you more of your cruelty of your heart. And now I'm going to speak out against my chosen nation, Judah and Israel. And this is what God says to them. The rebuke and challenge to those two nations were greater than even the six nations. Why? Because they knew more. Because they knew the Ten Commandments. They heard and were taught the Word of God. And I will simply summarize this as they were called out for not loving God. Amos 2, 4, 5 says, this is what the Lord says. The people of Judah have sinned again and again. And I will not let them go unpunished, God says. They will have rejected the instruction of the Lord, refusing to obey his decrees. They have been led astray by the same lies that deceived their ancestors. So I will send down fire on Judah, and all the fortresses of Jerusalem will be destroyed. And leads to Israel in chapter 
2, verse 6. This is what the Lord says. The people of Israel have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. They sell honorable people for silver, poor people for a pair of sandals. They trample helpless people in the dust and shove the pressed out of the way. Both father and son sleep with the same woman, corrupting my holy name. At the religious festivals, they lounge in clothing. Their debtors put up a security in the house of their gods. They drink wine, but with unjust fines. There are a number of sins listed here, but these are not just merely examples that Amos is giving, whether it is a complete picture of overlapping sins. It includes exploiting the poor and the helpless, immortality, abusing of women in the name of sexual pleasure, fattening one's wallet for one personal gain. One theologian describes these verses to say, here is a complete picture of a thoroughly corrupt individual. Here is a picture of a drunken individual who got drunk from exploiting the poor, the system that is corrupt, that turns the blind eye, lying in the puddles of his own sexual immorality in exploitation of women on the same place where God's worship should be taking place. This is as complete of a picture of sin as it gets. And I will simply call this not loving others as you're called to. What God is accusing Judah and Israel is what Jesus summarizes as the two greatest commandments, loving your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and loving your neighbors. We cannot divorce the two as one leads to the other, and the sign of one shows that we are, in fact, the followers of Christ. As Apostle John tells us, if you love God, you cannot help but to love others. And likewise, if you hate your neighbor, how can you truly say that you love your God? This speaks to our hearts too, doesn't it, church? Before we go out and start pointing fingers at the fallen world and fallen morality, God points to our hearts first and foremost and says, remember this, church? By your love, the followers of God, they will know that you are my disciple. You are to be the light. You are to be the witness. You are to be the one that stands and talks about the love of God above all, and loving others, we ought to demonstrate not only with our words, but with our actions, the gospel of Christ that says we are chosen by God simply because he loved us. Are you living in light of that? And Amos is showing us if you who claim to follow God have been given this beauty of the gospel, that he loves you, that he places value in your life, how are you living in light of that truth? With the great power of God's love comes great responsibility of storing this love and sharing that with one another. And before we say, God, this is too harsh for us, this is too harsh, this is what God tells us in chapter 2 as he talks about um, the six nations that are punished. And this is what God tells Israelites, that he shows you through the history. This is what God says, but as my people watched, I destroyed the Amorites. I've shown you this, God's saying. Though they were as tall as cedars, as strong as oaks, I destroyed the fruit of their branches and dug out their roots. It was I who rescued you out of Egypt, led you through the desert for 40 years so you could possess the land of Amorites. I chose some of your sons to be prophets and chose others to be Nazarites. Can you deny this, my people of Israel? Asked the Lord. Case made, verdict given. God is saying, I have been patient with you. I have shown you. I have given you prosperity, not on your own, so that you will prosper and point others to Christ. And the warning and the message for us is clear today, church. The false sense of prosperity and the comfort that you and I often seek after 
apart from God is not true Christianity. Christianity that is self-centered and not sacrificial is not true Christianity. Christianity that says, I want these doctrines all in order, but does not have love for your neighbor is empty religion that ought to be judged by the Lord. False sense of security in the Lord when you have no love for others is not true relationship with the Lord. No testimony of amazing truth. This is chippening of grace. That's what Amos is telling us. Very sobering. There's no feel better because it's fine. This is a message from the Lord. If you look at what's the band of brothers, to give away spoilers, it's been over 20 years now, um, one of the most chilling scenes as you watch this ministry is, is the freeing of the concentration camp. And you don't have to think about Band of Brothers only. You could think about the other movies of the World War II, and you realize the atrocities that's done by the Nazis, the cruelty of the Jews, uh, the Nazis and the treatment of Jews, simply based on the race alone. Nazi Arianism stated that Germans were the superior race. The Jews were deemed the near Asian race as Arminoid race and was inferior. That was their agenda. And they used that to round up people, persecute, kill, and exploit these groups of people. If you go to the Washington, D.C., there is a National Holocaust Museum, and you're given a name of a person, and you walk through the cruelty, and you recognize, you come out, a lot of people weeping, and it just appeals to basic humanity that says, this is wrong. This is not right. This is not the way it was supposed to be. You know, Isabel Wilkerson, a historian, who wrote a book titled Cast recently. In it, she says she researched how German um, scientists were studying Americans' Jim Crow law. Do you know that? To learn and to see how the system worked to subjugate one race from the other. She even mentions the idea of the one-drop rule that America has adopted, which maintained that a person with any amount of black blood would be considered black to be casted into lower class. He said, for the Nazis, that was too extreme. That was too extreme for the Nazis, church. Church, I'm not saying that we are like Nazis here. Please don't hear that, right? No, we are a nation full of racists that uphold Jim Crow laws. That's not what I'm saying. Resist the temptation that says, I'm offended that you will tell me this. Because I want to be absolutely clear, I do not wish to offend you. The gospel should offend you. My heart is for all of us, you and I, to stand under the word of God given to us by Amos today, this morning, including me. We could all start knowing that we all fall short of the glory of God, and we have failed to love our neighbors. And prophet Amos shows us how easily we fall into this trap, thinking we're not that bad. We're not that much into sin. Or how easily we could fall into the trap of a simple pride and self-righteousness when internally we are deeply rooted, entangled with sin. Oh, Church of Christ, I believe what Amos and other minor prophets showing us that this is the grace of God, the same gospel of Jesus Christ that says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. I always wonder why would God call us to repent first, right? But that's grace, isn't it? Just the other day, I saw my wife gently reminding my son not to hide when he messes up 
or doesn't do something. But not only did she tell him what was wrong, but why, and how it ultimately hurts the relationship with his mother. And that's always at the heart of repentance, isn't it? God's call for repentance is called to restore relationship in the way that you were created to be. Not only he will show us our sin, but his grace is sufficient even to cover that in our lives because that's how it starts. May we be a church of Christ that embraces the gospel of Christ in loving God and loving others. Let's pray. Let's pray, church. Father, that's our prayer as we come to the Lord's table that as we examine our hearts in the ways that we often fail to love God and love others, Father, we hear the words of Amos that, that says, um, the Lord's voice will roar like Zion, thunder from Jerusalem. Father, we desperately hang on to the grace of God that says the sin is anti-God, but in Christ we find reconciliation. In Christ we find hope. In Christ we find joy. May this table remind us of that truth as we come to it. Christ, let me pray. Amen.